0: Today, we're talking to Panit from Amberflow about the shifting tide in usage-based pricing and why it's crucial to work backwards from your successes. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. Hey, Panit. Joel, how are you doing, bud? It's good to see you again, man.
1: It's good to see you.
0: I just got back yesterday from a 10-day trip down to Florida so it's good to be back in in the studio.
1: Cool, cool. Family trip kind of thing, or?
0: Yeah, yeah. So it started as one of our family friends needed some help going through a rough moment. And then once we were down there, we said, well, it's my birthday that weekend and family's here, all of our family's in Florida. So we just said, let's just stay for a week or so. And then we needed our own bed. You know, you miss your own bed after you're gone for like 10 days. Yeah,
1: but belated to yeah. a uh, happy birthday.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah. Becoming an old man now, 35. <laughs> <laughs> talk. don't get me started. <laughs> Do you feel the same in your mind as when you were 35?
1: No, I, I have to say, you know, I I talk about this. Uh, in fact, I don't know if I mentioned this to you last time, but I have two boys, older boy, he just started a uh, sophomore, turned sophomore at, uh, in college this year. And, you know, so I'm starting, you know, he and I are starting to connect at an adult level kind of thing, so... I go back, to, I don't know, man. I think 35, I was just in a different zone. I just, I, I just, even half, I would say not even half as aware of things around me as I'm, I feel as I'm well now or in the last few years. You were way ahead, though. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> that's I mean, So don't use me sir. you know, because, yeah, I just look back at that. I, I just, uh, I was in a different zone. I, I missed out. I, I want to say almost.
0: What caused you? To have the transition,
1: yeah, and you know, I mean, this is sort of at, at a personal level, but you know, it was actually a professional experience, or, or culmination of uh, a series of professional experiences, all kind of packed uh, into a little bit of a time frame that really, uh, in the most profound way, I mean, just altered my thinking, at both at the professional level and even at personal level. What can I say? You know, for me, almost so sort of, I want to use the term sort of this awakening happened when I joined uh, Amazon. And uh, I've always been a little bit intrigued, and uh, I wouldn't say I had fully understood, but I was definitely a little bit on the curious side of culture and values, but never quite experienced or had a framework to kind of bring it all together, boil it down, and and kind of, you know, crystallize it where you could say that, you know, I'm, I'm living my life on the backs of certain values and principles. The, the thought was always there. It was kind of sprinkled here and there, but, I, you know, like I said. So that experience, uh, uh, joining Amazon, uh, and maybe perhaps just the role that they brought me in, and more importantly, perhaps the people that I interacted with, which was essentially the top leadership. What can I say? I mean, that really helped crystallize it, in my mind. And uh, not just in my mind, but actually then uh, the implementation of it. The frameworks, the the actual nuggets, the takeaways of you know uh, decision making, uh, the right from wrong, short term versus long term. Right? I mean, these are the the big vectors that can really influence and chart the cor- course of your, I guess, whatever you're doing in your life. So that was uh, for me a uh, uh, a great uh, experience.
0: well Yeah, it's lucky to be around those types of people. Uh, and I can totally see how that changes your perspective. For me, when I started to want to change in my 20s, I just started you know, reading books or watching YouTube channels and I stopped doing the negative behavior patterns that I was doing. And then I surrounded myself with these people who... I just listen to constantly. It's why I like podcasts and YouTube and all of that, because it allows you to spend time with a certain group of people. It's probably why a lot of people listen to the show, right? They wanna hear other great technology leaders talk about how they did difficult things and overcame you know challenges and achieved them. I've got a couple questions for you. The first one is, what are the principles and values today that you're living your life off of?
1: Yeah, I guess I could distill them out there are a handful, and when I say there are a handful, I mean, these are essentially sort of the guiding posts, if you would. right? So there, there are a couple of things just on a day-to-day basis, uh, the postures sort of how I interact, how I process information, and how I sort of interact with that. So there are some guiding principles there, and I'll, I'll, I'll spell that out. And then the other is just really more sort of on a professional basis, because quite frankly, quite a bit of our life is just at a professional level, uh, at work, and then particularly, you know, when you are doing what I'm doing, uh, even uh, as a startup, and now we're scaling, um, but my actions have direct impact on not just company, but within that, you know, we're all basically made out of people, so it's direct impact to people's careers, their lives. So let's start there. I mean, uh, I have a little bit of a guiding principle there at the professional front. It's something that's derived from uh, something I like I said, first became aware at Amazon. So Amazon is notoriously known for their leadership principles. Uh, you might have come across them. People now often talk about them. It can come across a couple of different ways. One is, you know, people first just start kind of have a shock view of it when they look at Amazon lead- leadership principles, because I think there's now 16 of them. There used to be 14 when I was there. And then, you know, just people kind of can't even wrap their head around that, you know, 16, I mean, who keeps track of this, all that. But anyways, if you have to kind of live there to really understand and appreciate that thesis, one of those principles is called, as a leader, you are right a lot. Just by itself, it's a little bit of a mouthful. You know, you, you can't quite even unpack it. It's a sort of almost confusing. But to me, it's, it's one of the most profound frameworks that if you get behind it, My God, man, it is liberating. It is, it will steer you in the right direction. So what is it? Leaders are right a lot. What they're telling you is, if you're operating as a leader, and by the way, of course, the first reaction is, leader, do you have to be in a management role, or do you have to have people reporting to you? Leader can be really anybody. and I see individual contributor can be a leader. So what does it mean as a leader, you have to be right a lot? It simply is, asking you to do some introspection and say, you know, in the fullness of time and within that take a slice of time, the decisions that you have made, and everybody's making decisions, when you tally them up, have you made more wrong decisions? Have you made more right decisions than wrong? Okay, Okay. that's it. And so you decide, pick that time slice, do some introspection, and ask yourself, of all the decisions you've made, have you been able to make more right decisions than wrong decisions? So as leaders, you are right a lot. And uh, you would think, you know, well, yeah, I never thought of it that way because you're know, as leader, as manager, or CEO, you are making decisions every day. So you, you pause and you try to bring some kind of a measurement metric to it. Uh, and then really what it's leading you to think is, how do you get better at it? Uh, how do you get better at making more right decisions than wrong well what it's really telling you is look just because you are in a management role or in a CEO role does not cut you slack that you don't have to continuously also up level your own skills to continuously learn and get better whatever your job is just because you're at the top doesn't mean that you've already gotten everything so i wake up every day and, you know, I have a bar for myself that, what am I doing to keep my skills up? You know, as our company scales, uh, you know, where are areas for me to improve? Forget about everybody else, you know, of course, ultimately, I'm responsible for everybody's performance review. I have to do my own performance review. I have to ask myself every day, what am I learning? And then, you know, within that, not rushing to judgment, you know, all of these, as you said, whether now and then you work your way backwards from there. And then it will lead you to seek out information, new books, categories, right? I have to continuously, every day, day in, day out, first and foremost, up-level my skills so I can be a better, effective leader and manager. So that's one. The other Other. is, you know, it's sort of a culmination of a few other things about uh, sort of a play on customer obsession, you know. And just this... Thesis that I learned again, you kinda of have to be there short term versus long term. It's talked about a lot. But again, one of those things where if you are in a position to step back and whatever the thing that you might be dealing with, if you suddenly look at it from the long term lens, you'd be amazed the level of clarity that it can e- immediately bring to whatever issue you might be dealing on hand. Right. And I know I'm saying I'm not saying that, you know, just throwing the long term lens at any old problem can get rid of the problem or can solve the problem, but it immediately puts you into the right framework where you are not rushing to judgment or having a knee-jerk reaction to something. So that's, again, a little bit of a, uh, it takes a little bit of a while. I think it took me certainly a while to kind of develop that muscle. But that's also a framework that, you know, I applied to things, particularly that, you know, when you get encountered with something and you are just your body wants to react, mind wants to react right away. You know, it's helped me to kind of draw a pause and kind of analyze the things with a cool mind.
0: That's the hardest part. That's the challenge yeah. right there.
1: It is. And, and that's the thing. But, you know, so you have to enforce, you have to live, you have to practice. And, uh, and believe me, yeah, I still you know, falter over. But I can tell you, Joel, uh, it has helped and it has improved. And I can see it even like within my family. And my personal uh, relationships, uh, it has helped.
0: One of the things that has helped me a lot is I heard a leader talking about how, if you show me your calendar, I'll show you your future. And I thought, well, I have a pretty active calendar, but it's mostly my team and reactive. So for this year, I decided to be much more intentional about taking my list of the things that I want for the year, and then making sure that there's dedicated time slots on a repeating basis so that those things actually get done yeah. and so I'm about you know six weeks into this, and I'm surprised I made it as far as I have without this tool It's been incredibly helpful. Do you yeah. schedule time? How do you yeah. consistently improve?
1: yeah, very cool. again, you know again, sort of a lesson learned uh, by watching some some of the other folks. Sure thing. Yeah, for me, uh, I call it uh, thinking time. There are blocks on my calendar every week uh, that is thinking time. And uh, you know what? It's probably one of the most important parts of the week for me. And that thinking time, again, some of these things that I just talked about, sort of my own values and principles, it's time for me to a little bit reflect, play back some of the things. Then, of course, also uh, strategic company, vision, values, analyze things, look at things. I need that time. If I don't get that time, it's, uh, I I just don't feel whole, to be honest with you. So, in fact, um, I probably have a lot more of that than perhaps any other senior or sort of, you know, somebody who's running a startup. Uh, But I feel it is justified. Uh, I think um, it pays its dividends. More importantly, I think it has a hugely compounding effect uh, to everything that you do.
0: Is that in the morning time or the afternoon?
1: It is usually like I, I try to have it uh, on a Fridays for sure uh, a little bit because, you know, uh, it's one thing to put time on the calendar. I found the other thing is, you know, there are emergencies and, and fire, fires that crop up anyway. So despite the fact, okay, well, this is my thinking time when, you know, if a customer calls or something happens, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to drop the thinking time in, in favor of that because, you know, customer obsession is one of our principles. So uh, I found anyways, you know, by Friday things are starting to kind of taper off. Uh, so rather than maybe trying to cut up, cut off work early or whatever, I actually pack in, you know, good uh, Friday afternoons and then the email volume is low. There's fewer interruptions and, uh, rather than, you know, rushing off home or going off with friends or something for a beer, yeah, that's, that's my time. So that really works well, that, that particular slot on the Friday. Uh, but also during the week, I'll have it, you know, maybe on a Wednesday or Tuesday. I kind of see you know, how the calendar is shaping up. So what I have is uh, I have sort of set blocks you know, on my calendar. So Friday usually is the one that never gets moved because uh, there's usually not some competition for that, that time slot. But during the week, I sometimes move things around. But the time window is always there. me. I have to have a few hours a week.
0: So also in this year... I'm trying this new concept. I did a show with a guy who has spent basically his whole professional life researching attention spans and psychology and the biochemistry behind it and all all of those things. And what I found was when I put things after work has started or, or something like that, that it has the opportunity to get interrupted. So I was searching for a system that would remove the opportunity for interruption, And so the only thing I came up with, and it's been working pretty well so far, as long as I have the discipline, right, is to wake up and then have my phone, like not touch my phone until after I've done my breakfast, my workout, like my prayer and thinking time, all of that. And then I open up the world that is chaos, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, yeah. it's not really that chaotic, yeah. but because it always, it always starts with something simple. What was throwing me before was someone just say, hey, can you just really quickly do this? And I'd be like, yeah, it take five minutes. But then your mind sort of shifts into this work mode. And then to get back out of that, you have to wait until your sleep cycle happens and you reset. Yeah. Okay. What's your morning like?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, I've heard of that. And I, I think, I don't, know, I don't know, you might know better if that's one of the popular frameworks, because I, I do hear that. And I have others also talk about that, that, you know, a little bit of this, uh, sort of uninterrupted prep time or whatever it is in the mornings. I don't know. I've, I've tried that. It, it has not worked for me. And I'll tell you maybe a little bit of a contrarian view of why Mm -hmm. perhaps it has not worked for me. You know, I love what I do. Okay. So I'm not saying that, you know, others don't, but for me, there are, many aspects of my job that I just absolutely love. I consider myself one of those lucky ones. I like to say to folks, you know, when I first meet somebody or, or whatever, I'm, I'm one of those lucky ones walking on this planet for whom my work and hobby collide in a good way. You know, I, I'm sure there are many out there. And if you're one of those, you know, I'm just lucky, right? So, I'm always seeking, you know. For me, technology trends. You know, you and I chatted about Chat GPT. I had no idea we were going to chat about, you know, Chat GPT. No pun intended, but you know, there you have it, right? So, uh, for me, that is a little bit of the draw. So I'm not uh, looking, you know, every day to kind of make it really prescriptive. And therefore, I talked about sort of this thinking time. Guess what? Some lot of that thinking thinking time is really just, you know, uh, thinking about technology, thinking about, you know. Where uh, things might be headed, and uh, and I draw inspiration from that. I draw energy; it's invigorating for me. So, one, you write, like you know, sometimes you wake up. So I get onto my phone. Uh, you know, I'm not one of those early ones that gets up at five or six. I need my sleep, and I'm happy to say so far, you know, I'm I love my sleep. I, I get good sleep. I, I get at least I take in seven hours uh, of sleep, uh, and if I'm not catching my seven hours, at least sometimes even eight. Then uh, I will make up for it over the weekend, you know? So that's my view. Um, when I do get up, I kind of get on my phone. You're absolutely right. Uh, there are things that you like in the morning <laughs> that you want to see, but more things that, you know, oh, geez, really? Okay, I'll, I'll come back to this later. So I'm able to sort of a little bit compartmentalize. But yeah, so for me, that's kind of the, the reason why perhaps I have not been able to draw those boundaries as much.
0: Yeah, now I get up at 5 a.m., six 5.30, good for you. but I am go to bed at 8. So I'm getting like eight and, oh, and a half hours of sleep.
1: okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah I thought. well. Yeah. No, that's so, good. That's a healthy habit. Uh, you know, something I need to work on, but, you know, just given the startup, I, you know, I mean, I only get home sometimes by seven thirty eight. So I know. Yeah.
0: I know. I've just got those little ones under five, right? So yeah. if I try to stay up after they're in bed. That's, you know what it's like. You've had kids, you know, you put them all to bed, pajama time, all that stuff. Then it's like, well, then that's the time me and my wife have. And it's when we're completely drained. So we decided, hey, these kids don't wake up until eight o'clock or so. Let's get up at five, go to bed right when we put them to bed, get up at five, and then we can have two hours in the morning uh, where we can have, you know, our relationship and catch up and talk and all of that. So, you know, we don't hit it yeah, every day. We don't get it no. perfect all the time, but it's yeah. most of the time.
1: No, but that's awesome. You know, I, it's it's a personal goal. Uh, hopefully I can, I can turn things around or just, you know, adjust my timing. Lo- I love mornings. I love dawn. I love the break. You know, I mean, I, I have a little bit of almost a little bit of a philosophical view of that. I think, you know, we have limited time on the planet and to see a, a morning every day. I mean, you know, that's just God's sake, you know. So the more snap, you can snap see that
0: picture on your oh. phone, snap a picture, tag me on LinkedIn or send it to Josh or something. I want to see what you see in the morning. Cause yeah. it's so, it's so prevalent because I, I love the morning stuff as well yeah. that my iPhone has, you tell me if your smart albums created this thing called golden hour and has classified and created a smart album. Cause my phone did that. Cause I took so many pictures like right at that sunrise time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. actually, so just since you asked, so I'll, I'll kind of, throw this out there. You know uh, the meaning behind amber flow? No. Okay, so it's a little bit of a spin now. Uh, there's a word in Sanskrit called umber, which is sky. And uh, if you look at sort of the morning sky, the morning sun, it's, it's glowing orange, as you just said, golden. Right? And I guess also in English, the color of uh, amber is that, that orange glow. That's sort of the little bit of the original genesis of how I talk of Amber.
0: Well, let's talk about Amberflow and then let's also give the audience some background. So I had Puneet on, I think last week or two weeks ago to talk about the company, Amberflow, them raising money, their experience, their journey, what problems they're solving, all of that. And we just got off on a chat GPT tangent and spent an hour talking about that and then said, hey, let's do a second episode. So this is this is that episode and honestly, It's crushing it because the leadership advice that you gave in this first half is just, uh, I'm loving it. But let's talk about Amberflow. Can you tell me a little bit about what it is, why it got started?
1: Yeah, sure thing. So Amberflow, we're about a two and a half year old company, venture backed. Uh, We just closed a series A round, so 20 million in venture funding. What we do, and I'm sure I have a chance to unpack it uh, some more, we are enabling businesses to shift to usage-based pricing. Right, so more and more businesses are sort of forming in the footsteps of, you know, largely again, what sort of AWS and other cloud providers, the public cloud providers pioneered this concept of consumption-based pricing or consuming services as you use them and then pay for them as you use them. Almost, you know, you pay only for what you use, pay as you go. So this is a new and emerging business model. And we are providing a platform for companies who are wanting to shift from a traditional business model like uh, old school subscription to a usage-based or hybrid uh, pricing plan. We provide the underlying technology, we call it cloud metering and usage-based pricing and billing platform. That's what Amberflow provides. It enables companies to charge and track on usage.
0: That's awesome. And so are a lot of companies using this? Who are some of your big clients?
1: Yeah, you know, so uh, I'll kind of give you a little bit of for sort of a lead-in, and then we'll talk about some of the amazing customers that you've got and what the traction is looking like right now. I think coming into 2023, uh, we can definitively say that this is one of the big transitions that is happening out in the industry, pretty much at a macro level. So much so that I think these kinds of shifts don't happen very often, but when they do happen, they have a huge ripple effect. So, so we'll unpack that, but it's, it's happening. And a little bit of this is sort of intertwined in this whole narrative and debate about PLG slash usage based pricing. So uh, we'll talk about that. So today uh, we have many customers. Uh, we have ourselves a PLG based self-service platform that we put out to our website. We invite customers and prospects directly on our website to come in, log in and use the product. We have customers today, um, companies like LaunchDarkly, Firebolt, SupportLogic, Coherent Global, many others who are using our platform end-to-end from beginning to, through to the end of this life cycle of doing usage instrumentation, metering, tracking what has used by whom, when, what, where, how much, then building a pricing plan on top of that, again, using Ambushflow, rating that pricing plan generating on-demand metered invoices so they can present to their customers in real time so customers can see what they are using from the vendor and then collect those invoices and do the billing and payments. So that's the full loop, what we provide uh, as a turnkey platform. And uh, several customers, the traction is growing. We have a healthy funnel uh, on the backs of PLG. But having said all of that, I want to say it's still early days. Uh, It's early days relative to the market transition. We are certainly seeing the signs market shift in this direction. I think the tsunami is yet to go.
0: So you think we're still on the the earlier part of the curve for usage-based pricing?
1: I believe so. I think we're still in the early part of the curve. And maybe uh, 2023 is the year where I think we get to that inflection point. And I might just say that, I think just because there's a lot more activity now, the awareness is uh, a lot more. Um, so I think we may right be right around the, the cusp of that inflection point.
0: I'll push back on that maybe a little bit or provide something from my unique world. I think 95% of everything I pay for for my business is yeah. usage-based pricing. Yeah. There's one or two that aren't, but I, I mean, I feel like we're already already there. Now, yeah. that's... I'm a small company, right? We're 20 people, we do media, we're in this very specific area and that's what I'm revolving around, right? So there's obviously massive industries and all of these other things. So because I'm in this bubble that is my industry and my specific size of company, which is a fairly small bubble, right? And it's pervasive there. It's 80 80 plus percent for sure of the products are usage based pricing. Is there a lot of other markets where they're not really usage based yet that they're going to become usage based?
1: Yeah, I you know, um, and maybe we should unpack some examples. Like uh, maybe if in your domain, uh, what are some of the companies? And and maybe you you maybe uh, the fact that you are sort of media oriented, and I think uh, within that that realm in that vertical per se, yes, definitely there's a trend. There uh, always has been some kind of a consumption based model. I say that because you know we're a startup, but I can tell you, even uh, as a startup, we must be, or like having 30, 40 plus vendors, companies that are providing a service. Everything is SaaS these days, right? So we must have at least 30, 40 plus SaaS vendors uh, that we are subscribed to for all kinds of different services from collaboration to wikis to web meetings to whatever you have. My view is most of them are still uh, on a seat user-based model.
0: Oh, that's a distinct, that, that, because yeah. that, my mind said yeah. that usage-based pricing is per seat, so we're not, that we're going to draw a line there. Oh, yeah, Explain that.
1: Oh, yeah, for floor. okay. So, that is the big draw. So, in our view, user-based, if you are pegging your value vector, your price on user, number of seats, so take a step back, so why, you know, while that is starting to fall flat, and really, that is the crux. Like the whole motion around usage-based pricing, the whole narrative is to decouple the value vector from the number of users. Okay, and and here's why. So, what started this whole trend about usage-based pricing? So, you know, till about five, ten years ago, the classic model was uh, Salesforce. Right, you you go, you buy CRM. And you they tell you, okay, how many users are gonna use it? And let's just say in your hundred dollars to use it for a month. Now what's happening, Joe, is as things move to the cloud, right? The thing that we take for granted, we but we never sort of pause to think about or talk about, you know, and it almost sort of gets forgotten in the grand scheme of things, are something that we used to uh, talk a lot uh, about about, you know, at AWS in particular looking at things from first principles. And okay, you so what do you mean by looking at things from first principles? Basically, try to boil it down to the root cause, or try to boil it down to sort of the, the core fundamental truths, so to speak. And then sort of work your way upwards from there, reason your way up from there, right? Okay. So what is cloud? We you know what, well, of course, everybody knows what cloud is, but if you were to summarize cloud, in one word, as cloud is the one word, what might be a euphemism for cloud? One word.
0: You're going to make me guess. No, I'm no. going to make you guess. <laughs> Give me the now? answer, teacher.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so you want to take a guess? I mean, it's... Uh, no. You know.
0: No <laughs> guess. No. <laughs> no guess today. I okay. opt out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So, and you know, I'm, I'm happy to be challenged on this, but this was a little bit based on experience and actually sort of living the life uh, right in the early days of cloud computing. If there's one word that would be a euphemism for the word cloud, it would be the word elastic. Mm, I agree. That is the fundamental building block, the core primitive of the primitives, as we call it, of cloud computing. So, as you nodded your head, if you believe that that is true, then now what you're saying is when we talk about move to the cloud, lift and shift to the cloud, companies going to the cloud, companies building in the cloud, cloud-native companies, whatever you have, what are you saying is that the foundational infrastructure that I'm on is elastic. That is the starting point. Okay, so if your quote-unquote backend infrastructure is elastic, then you have to measure and track because it's elastic. It goes up, it goes down. And what makes it go up or down? What makes it go up or down is the workload. And then, what makes the workload change? Well, the work—you know—it's the consumption. It's what is being used. Okay. So, this is the first principle. This is why, in, at least in my mind, you know, as you think, as I said, from first principles, from root cause, and and so the fundamental truths, and you work your way up from there. Why we are seeing today this talk about PLG usage-based pricing? Shift from subscription to usage-based pricing. Okay, so there's a lot more to unpack right in the middle here, but let's press forward. As okay, so now back to per-user pricing versus usage-based pricing. If you're in the cloud, you running a you build a CRM product, and uh, you're going to price it by hundred dollars per user per month. Clearly, different people are going to and different users are going to stretch your product in different ways. You know. I'm one of those unlucky sales guys who's just not getting enough leads. and oh, I'm, I just don't have, you know, a lot going on. So, but the guy next door to me, yeah, he's crushing it, right? Obviously, he's banging more on the CRM tool than I am. Usage profile is different, user by user, company by company, right? However, you know, we got through this whole aberration period where somebody invented the fact, okay, well, let's just charge a number of users. And that generally seemed to be sort of a high-water mark where, fair enough, you know, we'll just randomly price it, the per-user seat at a price point where we know our costs are covered and there's a healthy margin, and then the world goes on. But what's happening now is because your cloud is elastic, you're finding that some users are not as profitable as some of the other users. And in fact, if you really kind of take a closer lens to it, some users might actually be not profitable for you. But because you sort of have the one-size-fits-all, you've never had the need to kind of do this instrumentation. But the more and more everything is running in the cloud and and cloud is becoming elastic, you're finding yourself that, you know, there's some variation here. I need to optimize. I need to drive a greater operational efficiency lens to sort of balance this front-end usage that is coming in to how that's translating to my back-end cost and the usage that I do on on the cloud infrastructure side. So first as you know, Joe, that is the genesis of this whole movement of usage-based pricing. Companies are trying to align the usage on the front end and map that per unit usage to per unit cost on the back end. Not, a, not always a one-to-one map, but the sooner you get onto this track, the better you are positioned for the long term for living and growing and competing in the cloud.
0: I love it. You sold me. I'm good. Yeah. First of all, thank you for helping me understand because you're correct. A very small percentage of the tools I use are usage-based. I would call things that are per seat usage-based because there's still things that are, I guess, like larger contracted. I guess it's still per seat, but I, in my mind, and this might help You, for as you're marketing and approaching people, I had correlated usage-based with per seat because some of the softwares I use make me do contracts that are very hard to change when you have new users. And they'll say, oh, if you've got eight users and you're going to go to nine, that's great, but you're going to be locked in at nine for two years and you can't go back down to eight. I love you, Zoom Info, but it's frustrating. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. It, yeah. Right, and so I'm like, look, my business is expanding, contracting. I can hire two or three salespeople, drop them off, and like, yeah. however the, the the company grows, right? In the past three years, we've gone from three to twenty people. So yeah. it's really hard if things go up and down, as you know, in a startup, to sort of go back, and that happens to be one of the most expensive tools that we use. So yeah. I had for some reason connected those together, but you've very plainly explained the differences, and I've got to admit. I agree with you. I have a three-month, a quarterly reminder on my phone that says revisit Elon Musk first principles because there's this great YouTube clip of him explaining yeah. it. And that was the first time I had heard it. And I said, I never want to forget this. Yeah. But you're exactly right. The, the reason why my first company that had servers that were at a co-location data center back in the earlier 2000s, the reason why we switched to cloud was because of the elasticity, the ability yep. for me not to have to call rack space. I think it was exactly. to call rack yep. space. They'd be like, yep. oh, there's a ticket, 72 hours, you'll have it up and then you'll be able to do what you need yep. to do. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. Everyone's telling me about Amazon. I'm going to go over there and, and just, I can do it immediately. And now I've got an easier life and then I only pay for what I'm using. I don't have to pay for all this equipment and these setup fees and all of that. And I agree with you. I would love it. Yeah. So now I want to talk about how this happens. So let's—we've got Zoom Info, we've got Microsoft Teams, we've got Slack. We got all of these. You know, they're charging per seat often, as far yeah. as I know. I know Slack has some cooler stuff. A little turn people off that are inactive, which is great. Yeah. You know, but uh, how does a, a competitor come in with a product that's equally as good? but on usage based pricing and then take is whats that what's going to happen the competitor is going to come in with usage based and then they're going to have to adapt
1: 100% that is what is happening yeah this is one of those pivotal moments i mean i, I said you know those uh, you know who've been around for a while this is that classic cable to salesforce shift in the industry you better get on this train now because increasingly all the dominoes of uh, reasons for why usage-based pricing is not right, or there's friction, lacks visibility, predictability. Let me just kind of knit all of that out, and it's just, you know, one simple sentence: Folks, all of those are not a limitation of the model. All of those concerns are the fact that you do not have right tooling in place. And let me just say that again. There is inherently nothing wrong with this business model. It is the most fair, transparent. Forget transparency when, uh, you know, uh, it is the most high-hitting, high-value, high-return business model that's out there. Don't take my word for it. If there was any cracks in the foundation of this business model, Joel, anything, even remotely, AWS would have dialed it back many years ago, okay? Forget dialing it back. They're doubling it. Down on it. They're going into other areas. They're going farther up the stack. How are you going to categorize? They're going into traditional SaaS applications, core applications like CRM support, and they're throwing the usage based pricing playbook at it. It's a gift that keeps on giving. If you get your company on the usage based pricing and billing model, it's a gift that keeps on giving. It compounds. Uh, you never have to look back. You are going to increase your pace of innovation. You are going to drive organic growth. You are going to have happier customers. You are going to have a product that by nature of this business model becomes more sticky, exhibits, you know, a finer UI UX alignment with your user's needs, okay? Just all in, all around. Now, I understand there's friction, right? Because if you're coming and you've been, if you've been sitting in the old model, this is a profound change. I understand that, I get that. Well, at some point, you'll have to do it. I'm sorry to say, I mean, you know, a shift is happening. And back to what you made. So, if you're not doing it, somebody else is already thinking in your domain, in your business, in your vertical. And if they haven't already launched, there's a startup that's actively working. Just simply They're going to take your exact same playbook. They're going to not even have to out-innovate your features. Only thing they'll have to do is come to market even with slightly lesser product, but just do it on the box of the usage-based pricing. And you know, and here's the thing, right? So again, not talked about often, and you know, sometimes this comes across wrong ways and rubs people the wrong way. But I, you know, I'd stick my luck out. I'd say, I don't know, I'd say at least one-third, Joe. maybe... Or at least one fourth, right, of the tech GDP today is shelfware. Thanks to subscription model. People have paid and have not used. People have paid and have not used derived. I can agree
0: with that. I have had behind the scenes conversations with different companies and SaaS owners and stuff where their usage is like twenty to thirty percent of seats and yep. and they're they're not small companies. They're household yep. names and I was like blown away, right? I don't actually I've none of these people I don't think I've had on the podcast. I just do go to dinners and events and stuff and and I got to talk to some some people obviously when I was doing capital raises and all of that. I got some good information, but my mind was blown yep. when I saw the the usage rates of what people will pay for and then I thought, well, I guess people pay because they like the ability to have access to it, right?
1: Yeah, and so that's why you know I think it's it's now coming full circle. I think as I say, you know, well, this kind of the chickens coming home to roost now. It's uh, I think customers are waking up and you know figure out you know if you are uh, you know you can you know two sides of the fence. Either you can hold out and you can blame and you can try to say you know well you know subscription is still the right model, but no usage based pricing and I mean it's it's the more fair transparent. And if you look at it from that lens, you can actually draw out the dividends that it pays. Like I said, you know, and now there's a lot of research. Forget research. There's actually lot, now plenty of data. Companies showing up on IPO on the backs of usage-based pricing are demonstrating that consistently they're driving greater metro tension rate, which is basically the frequency and uh, renewal cycle that people on usage-based pricing have higher renewal rates. Okay, because it's organic. You said it's a gift that keeps on well, giving. What do you, you mean, met?
0: hiring no rates All you do is use it whenever you need it.
1: <laughs> it's the, exactly. Yeah. Right.
0: It's always on.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the, this whole subscription, uh and, you know, we, we have a little bit of a sort of a deep holds and, and point of view on this, that the whole subscription, because when you said earlier that, you know, a lot of my ways or services I'm consuming are usage rate, but that's because we, you know, uh, you had a little different lens of were viewing our users as sort of usage, but that's not it. See, However, Joe, I consider, you know, this whole subscription thing that quite frankly that Salesforce sort of pioneered and, and I I wouldn't blame them for it because when I first heard of subscription, as you can tell, I've been around for a long time, but you know, when the shift to subscription happened, I think it's one of those things where it was well-intentioned, it never really materialized because again, I think people short-turned it, short-tracked it. And here's what I mean. So. The intention was good because when we first heard of subscription, I remember still, it was under the banner of that, you know, vendors, companies will have to renew their mandate with their customers on a monthly basis. Subscription, monthly subscription price. Every month, these companies will have to renew their mandate with their customers that, hey, I'm still providing you value, so renew us for another month, renew us for another month. Well, guess what happened immediately? Everybody went into this 12-month or 36-month sales cycle. Because I challenge you, find me one company, maybe they're onesies, twosies, but I'd say say 99.99% of the companies out there who are using user-based subscription model, they will always have, well, okay, per month pricing at this, and there's a 20% discount if you sign up for 12 months. Yes. Okay. so I sign up for 12 months. You take my money right up front for the whole year. You've gotten the money. There's no incentive for you to track anything because I've already paid you for the whole year, right? There's no incentive for me tracking anything because I'm already out of the money. It's not like if I track something and I go back to you, I'm only using this much. None of these contracts pay you money back, right? Because nobody's really usage instrumenting in the first place. And then the, then the renewal cycle happens for 12 months, and then you again renew for the same year. Okay, well, how many employees are you growing? Then we signed up for more, but nobody's really tracking, and therefore this shelfware, right? But the, the thing is, you know, this whole subscription thing is really an outlier in the grand scheme of things. I like to almost, like, if you position in the entire spectrum of software life cycle from the dawn of software, whatever that was, 1950s, 60s, 70s, really, let's say, right, to now, subscription is, you know, is really sort of an outlier event, like in the grand scheme of things, if you think about, you know, just planetary concept, you know, the, the life of Earth, you know, subscription is like this little blip that happened because... It was never meant to be. It's an aberration because in economic terms and in human terms, the world revolves around consumption. You just, you went to Florida, you mentioned, right? You pay for the nights you stay. You pay for the miles you travel. You pay for the amount of food you eat, right? Everything is just, you know, by and large, usage base is based on the value and how much of value you extract extracting and you pay. It. Except for at Disney. At Disney.
0: <laughs> 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 <No, I'm kidding. laughs> Oh man, <laughs> yeah. I was like, we gotta pay for breakfast again. <laughs> it's like a mortgage payment. No, that's but, right.
1: This needs getting away out of burger. But anyways, but that's what you know. The world that generally, as we have known it and have we have experienced it, has been in a consumption. You know, when you go buy groceries. Yeah.
0: So, sorry to interrupt you, but it's funny that you say that because the the breakfast I'm referring to was a buffet, and you can actually see in the restaurant business the buffets are some of the worst. Models ever, and they're a pay for all you can consume type model, which is like a per seat type deal. Whereas, you know, 80%, 99% of the other restaurants you're paying for consumption.
1: Yeah. And I would, I would even say, see, okay, so here's, the, I think it's a good nuance. See, to me, from my lens, even to me, that is more consumption and usage than subscription because. You could have different buffets, right? Across the street at a lower restaurant, you know the buffet would be ten bucks or twenty bucks. You know, at a I don't know, you know, at a Bellagio or something, you know, it's fifty bucks or a hundred bucks, right? We, but, you, you, but you're getting for what you're paying, isn't it? I mean, you look at the spread at the higher end buffets. So yes, while it is kind of sort of perceived, but there is a value based pricing, uh, and it is based on sort of consumption on, you know, what you might consume. So there, I would still sort of consider that a little bit more sort of still on, on usage base. Anyways, but that's, you know, that's... Yeah. Yeah, that's sort of my take.
0: So I think there's a couple questions on people's minds that I want to get through pretty quickly because we're coming up on time. The first one is, you're discussing not just a technology, Amberflow. This is a massive change in the industry. Are you helping companies who want to move to this model, understand how to do it, or are you only providing the tools to do it?
1: We're doing both. Uh, so, and it's both sides of, of our company that we are now scaling and building uh, because there's help needed on, on both fronts. Uh, and quite frankly, because we believe we're still in the early cycle of it, then, you know, we're certainly here to help. We, we feel lucky the fact we've spent time at AWS uh, and have seen this model at scale. So, Let's just say, you know, just seeing what are there. So the curves on the elbow, so to speak. Uh, so there's just uh, frameworks and best practices that we have drawn from that, that we certainly engage with our customers, help them uh, understand a lot of things. Some of the things, at least, we've talked about in this discussion about the value, how to think about it, how to conceptualize, uh, how to draw the framework from shifting from uh, subscription pricing to usage base. And within that, what are the systematic ways, what steps you have to kind of go through? So that's kind of a little bit on the framework side, best practices side. We certainly outline that. And quite frankly, some of that, those best practices are also what's flowed into a product, naturally. So when they engage with the product, the product experience is designed to then deliver on those best practices and take the, those customers from step one to step two to step three. Do you have material
0: on your website where, let's say people are listening to this, now they want to go have this conversation with a coworker and they, you know, would like a, a PDF or something, talking points, do you, ha- do you generate material like that currently?
1: Quite a bit. Uh, and so I would just first invite folks, you know, just want to have a discussion, not sure about this, wondering about this, actively thinking about this, uh, come on to our website, amberflow.io, connect back to us. I'm happy to have a conversation with you, anybody on our team. Uh, We have several case studies, some of the customers that I mentioned uh, earlier. But look at some of those uh, customer testimonials, how these companies have gone through. So most likely, whoever you are, whatever domain you're in, I think there's a good chance somebody else has already walked that path uh, that, you know, you can draw some lessons from or certainly extract some best practices. One of the things that comes up when people start thinking about this shift is right away, it may seem a little bit daunting, you know, what, what ought to be my pricing plan, you know, on what vectors, what value vectors should I charge on, and how many should I charge on, like, you know, should it be one, two, four, five, so all of that, I can, you know, just to your audience, I can tell you, don't be phased by it, don't be afraid, you know, uh, embrace it, this is, there, there are frameworks, there are blueprints, there is a methodology, best thing I can again say to you rather than me just sort of pontificating is ask yourself the following you know everybody has seen the cloud providers AWS Google Azure AWS I think today has upwards of 300 plus different services whatever I can guarantee you if you were to go look around on the internet there's not one article where AWS had to retract their pricing plan for any one of the services where they said oh geez culpa oh we got it wrong Let us take this back and fix it. Not a single one. So this is not an accident. This is not a hand baby. This is not, there's a process, there's a methodology. You will come out on the right side of it. You can get it right on the first try. So we'd love to share some of that if anybody's interested.
0: Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear,